19, everyone be quick to hear, everyone be slow to speak, everyone be slow to anger. And I trust that you are able to implement these things into your daily living this past week. Um, I caught myself at one point, at least on one occasion, I think it was actually Sunday while it was still fresh in our minds, I started to say something and Andrea goes, Dad, are you being slow to anger and slow to wrath and quick to... I said, Andrea, quit listening to the sermon so good. It's not always easy, is it? Um, I tell you what, it's a challenge to be obedient to every aspect of the Word of God. And I trust that this week you were challenged, and I know that we went home last week and my wife put it up on the, on the board there, so it was a constant visible reminder to be uh, slow to speak, slow to anger, and uh, quick to hear, be a listener. So this morning we're going to look at verses 22 through 25, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if any of you are a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not forgetful here, but one who does good works, this person will be blessed in what he does. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for the music that we've already I've been a part of this morning. I pray, God, that you would just speak to our hearts through the Word now. And God, I ask that you would just teach us what we need to hear. And Lord, I pray that every one of us that are here this morning, Lord, we might look intently and uh, inwardly, Lord, that we might examine our own lives to, to make sure that we are doers of the Word and not hearers only. And I ask, God, that you would challenge us, but not only challenge us, change us. And we ask these things in your precious holy name. Amen. Well, the Word of God is of no practical value if, if we do not receive, implement, and obey the truths, the imperatives, the commands, the exhortations, the precepts, and the laws found in God's Word. Knowledge is never enough. God desires obedience. And we see this throughout Scripture, that God does not, does not only want us to know what His Word is, He wants us to implement it, He wants us to practice it, He wants it to put, us, put it into our daily lives. In fact, um, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 and 23, the first part of that verse, God even warns us about partial obedience. Um, so often in our lives we say, well, I do most of what I'm told. Uh, it, it's like a child, though. You, you send them to the room and say, pick up the room. And you walk in there and say, well, this is better than it was, but you didn't do all of it. There's still some clothes over in this corner, and there's still some games out over here. I said to clean the entire room. Sometimes we have the idea that in Christianity, that's good enough for God. As long as I do most of what I'm supposed to do, as long as I do you know, practically everything that's visible to others, then I'm okay. But God says partial obedience is not even enough. He says, then Samuel said, Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. Well, wait a minute. God, don't you understand? I've sacrificed these things. And, and God, I mean, you understand? I've given these things to you. And he said, wait a minute. It's not about your routines. It's not about your rituals. It's not about your traditions. It's not about what you think you are doing to quote-unquote be religious. He said, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of what? Witchcraft. And defiance like wickedness and idolatry. 
He says, partial obedience. I mean, you remember the situation here. He said, I want you to go in, I want you to destroy everything, and leave what? Nothing. And as Samuel approaches, he says, what's the bleeding of sheep that I hear? And what are they saying? Well, we spare the best for God. See, they wanted to redefine what God wanted and what God expected for themselves. All God wanted was complete obedience. So, this really comes and ties in well with being doers of the Word and not hearers only. It's one thing to sit underneath the preaching of God's Word daily, but it's another whole concept to say, God, I want to implement and I want to put into practice the things that I hear. In Joshua chapter 22, verse 5, it says, Only carefully obey the command and instruction that Moses the Lord's servant gave you. To love the Lord your God, walk in all His ways, keep His commands, remain faithful to Him, and serve Him with all your heart and all your soul. The key word in that verse is obey. God is interested in our obedience more than He is in anything else. And until we ha- He has our heart, nothing else really matters. You see, I can show up to church and I can give to the needs of the church. I can sacrifice some time and I can get involved over here. But if my heart is not where it needs to be, God is not interested in that. He wants our heart because obedience, as I was taught in college, is doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. So God is interested in our attitude behind our obedience as well. There's several cross-references. We could take the time. I'm not going to do it this morning. But in Psalm chapter 50 and verse 8, in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 11, in Isaiah chapter 66 verse 3, and in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 20, all four of those passages make it very clear. God says, listen, you can bring your sacrifices, you can build your, uh, uh, your, your altars, and you can praise and you can sing songs, but if I don't have your heart, he says, they are detestable to me. He says, I don't even want to look at them. So God is interested in our heart. He's interested that we walk in obedience. And so it becomes very clear that when we think about being doers of the Word and not hearers only, God wants our obedience. And for those of you who said, I didn't get half of those, I'll make sure you get them. (laughs) God is not interested in man's religion. You see, man's religion says you have to do. God is interested in what? A relationship with His children. Man's religion says you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this. God is not interested in mankind going through the motions or exercising religious forms as part of a spiritual routine. And you know, let me just say this, it's really easy to be part of a spiritual routine, is it not? It's really easy because we get up every Sunday morning and go to church because that's what we do. We're so accustomed to it that, you know, come 7 o'clock or 7.30, we start rolling, and we, we kind of make, you know, one foot out of, off the bed and then the other, and we kind of get up, and we, you know, we start thinking about our routine, and boy, it's Sunday, so we're going to get ready to go to church, and that's just routine. That's what we do on Sundays. But do we think about it on Saturday? Do we think about it on Monday? Do we think about Tuesday? Boy, I get to come to God together with God's people this week, and I'm going to be excited because I'm going to be with God's people, and I'm going to hear what God's, God has to say for me this week, and... Or is it just a routine? I write out my check every week because it's just routine. I get involved in this class because it's just routine. God is not interested in spiritual or religious routine. He's interested in a heartfelt obedience. Being doers of the Word. And we'll see how that plays into this in just a moment. Consider these two men of God and what they said regarding obedience to the Word of God. The first one is John Calvin. I'm really interested in what he said here. He said, It was as much as to say that the sum and substance of divine worship consisted in obedience. What's he saying here? 
Worship is rooted in obedience. With which it should always begin, and that sacrifices were, so to speak, simple appendices, the force and worth of which were not so great as of obedience to the precepts of God. He said, I am interested, or God is interested in, the heart of our worship, which is obedience. And when you think about it, they put into practice Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, that's children of God, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable form of worship, service, depending on which translation you use. But worship and service go hand in hand. And it stems in the heart of one who is a child of God. And MacArthur, before I go that, let me go on. He says, but it necessarily follows that sacrifice without obedience to the commandments of God are utterly worthless. In fact, they're displeasing to God. So God says, I'm not interested in you just going through religious motion. I'm not interested in you going through spiritual routine. I'm interested in where your heart is. Those who consistently disobey God's word give evidence that they are without his life within them. And those who consistently obey the word give evidence of the life of God in their souls, MacArthur says. And he goes on to say, when people are blessed with regular, here's the problem, he says. When people are blessed with regular, in-depth preaching and teaching of Scripture, they may become so enamored with their knowledge of God's Word that they become self-satisfied with that knowledge and forsake the effort to live out the profound truths they have come to understand. Does that make sense? I think he's right on head here. He's hitting the nail on the head, and I think he's right on point. He says it's, come, it's so often it happens, whether we, whether we consciously do it or subconsciously do it, many of us have been in church a lot of our lives. Have we not? We've been in church from the time we were a kid. We, we kind of, generally speaking, we know all the stories. We know the circumstances. We know all the players. We know what happens because we've heard it over and over and over again. And he says, but the problem with that is this. We can become so enamored with our knowledge that when the pastor starts going down this, down this path and he starts hammering out this passage, we already know where he's going to go. And so therefore, I put it in the back of my mind, well, I already know what the conclusion of this one is. There's a blessing of being taught the Word of God, but there's a, 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 an avenue that we have to be very careful of that we don't come to the conclusion that we know it all already. And we forget to really probe it and really examine it and really intently apply it to our hearts and our lives. We need to constantly say, is that something I need to work on? Is that something I need to apply to my heart and my life? He says, but the true believer will not be inwardly satisfied with merely knowing the Word. His conscience and the prompting of the indwelling Holy Spirit will keep convicting him of his failure until he becomes obedient to it. In other words, when I am in a message and I'm hearing it and I'm hearing God's Word given to me, I am asking myself, is that in my life or is it not? Is that something I need to work on? And if so, am I willing to do that? But notice the text here. A literal translation of this passage might better read, be continually or keep striving to be doers of the Word. The emphasis in the Greek language is not so much on the doing as much as it is on the, on the Christian continually moving forward. Let me give you an example here of what I'm trying to say here. We look at this passage in James chapter 1, verse 19. It says, um, or 1, verse 22, says, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only. The word doers is that there's an emphasis on the person being somebody who is moving forward. Um, 
give me give you three examples here. The first example I want to share with you is that of a golfer. You know, there are people who enjoy a game of golf. But here's the difference. <laughs> a golfer trying to improve and just have fun on the course versus a professional golfer who goes out there and it's all business. He's not interested in just getting up to the up to the tee here. I mean, he's interested in whaling that thing so he can do it two under par. There's a difference. I'll give you another illustration. It's the difference between a do-it-yourselfer remodeling or repairing his home versus hiring a professional who does his day in and day out. There's a difference. One guy is striving at it. He's learning it. He's putting things that he learns into practice, and he's beginning to make that product look better and that room look better and that house look better. But it's different than the guy who's a professional and does it day in and day out every day of the week, 12 months out of the year. The guy who's striving, he's learning. He says, I want to do this. I want to keep moving forward. I want to learn so that I don't have to hire the professional. I want to get better at my game of golf because I'm not that, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to just sit here and not get better. I, I want to improve. I'm, I'm going to learn this technique. I'm going to put this swing practice into practice and, and so forth. Number three, it's a teacher filling in to teach the class for a week versus an experienced teacher who does it every week. There's a difference. The guy who's filling in says, I want to do the best I can. I'm going to learn some things and I'm going to study real hard. Whereas the guy who does it every week, what? It's almost second nature. He stands up and he just does it. The emphasis on being doers of the word is that guy who says, I'm not there yet. I'm not a professional, but I'm going to keep working at it. I'm going to seek to the best of my ability to put into practice and to apply the things that I'm learning. So the emphasis is on striving to improve. And he says, not hearers only deceiving ourselves. In other words, he's referring to us as spectators. God does not want spectators. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's not about showing up on Sunday and saying, Woo, I sang a few songs, I put my money in the offering, now I'm going to go home and do my thing all week and show up again next week. No. Christianity should be lived out when? Every day of our lives. It guides us, it directs us, It molds us because we're not here to please ourselves. We say this all the time around here. It's not about me. Christianity is all about Him. It's all about us submitting to Him and doing what He asks us to do, being what He asks us to be, and it's not about being a spectator. It's not about just sitting on the sideline and being the the spectator ref. Come on, ref, don't you know what you're doing? Yeah, he does. He's not perfect. Neither are you. But it's not about being a spectator ref. It's about getting down on the field and getting involved with it. And getting and doing whatever you can to improve the game. Some of us are really good at being spectators. When God wants us to get involved. You know, I don't know I can't, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. I know that'll shock you. But some of us are really good at determining how church should be run. Everybody has an idea. But what would it be different if you had said, God, I don't really care who gets the glory. I don't really who gets the, gets the credit. I just want to get involved and do what you want me to do. Throw aside the credit. Throw aside the glory. Throw aside who gets what credit for whatever happens. And say, God, what do you want me to do? And then do it. See, we're all really good at determining what pastor should speak on. 
They're all really good at determining what the deacon should do as far as the direction of the church or whatever. We always have an idea of who should do what. But the bigger question is, what does God want of me? How does God want me to fit into the body of Christ? And I still come back to 1 Corinthians. I love this. It says that God has placed everyone into the body how you see fit. (laughs) Oh, you wish you could say that? But it says how he sees fit. And God says, I put him in there how I want him. And God says, you're an integral part. And you can't be the foot because you're the eye, but you need to work together. We have too many armpits. Too many stinky feet sometimes. Just true. But God wants us to work together as one functioning body so that we can move forward for the glory of God, being doers of the word. So God doesn't want us to be spectators. Knowledge alone is never enough. I want to look at several passages here. I'm going to jump around just for a moment. And uh, he, he's so good back there, he'll have it up on the screen before I get there. But First John chapter 3, and verse 10, it says this. This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother. The bottom line is, is what? If you love me, you'll do what's right. Period. Not when it's convenient, not when it feels good, but all the time. Let's go back a chapter to 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to mess up Ben here. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. I love this passage. <coughs> Verse 3 says this, This is how we are sure that we have come to know Him. By keeping His commands, the one who says, I have come to know Him, yet doesn't keep His commands, is a liar and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, truly in Him, the love of God is perfected. What's he saying here? Your actions will reveal whether or not you truly have Jesus Christ living within you. So he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. John 14, 15. The bottom line is, is if you love me, you will do what I have commanded. You will be obedient. You will do what is right. So knowledge is not just enough. I can sit there in a pew week after week after week, and I can say, God, I know that, and I know that, and I know what the preacher's talking about, and I know what this missionary is saying is right, I la, 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 la. But if I never put it into practice, what's that really reveal about our heart? What's it truly reveal about who is or is not living within me. Because action is, is required if I truly know Him. Not to mention James 2, which we kind of mentioned once in a while, faith without works is dead. So it really gives credence to whether or not we truly know Him if we're not serving Him. So the bottom line is we are not just to be hearers. We're to be doers. So he says here very clearly, verse chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, this is the revealer. This is how you truly will know whether or not you're mine. This is how we're sure that we have come to know Him. By keeping His commands. Do we keep His commands? Are we obedient his, as His children? Um, Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10. It says this. Therefore, brothers, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Because if you do these things, you will never stumble. What's he saying here? Are you truly a child of God? If you're truly His, guess what? It'll be confirmed in our actions. It'll be confirmed in how we live. And make sure 
the calling that we have and how we live. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. This is an interesting twist. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, 22. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. What's he saying here? There are a lot of people, if I could say it this way, they look good. And here's the amazing thing, that as wheat and tear start growing together, they look very similar. But in the end, a true product will be revealed. And oftentimes we can look like one another. We put our Sunday duds on, we come to church, we bring our Bible, we sit in the pew, we sing the songs, we lift holy hands, we think, and we're worshiping God. And one day God says, you'll stand before me. And he'll say to some, depart from me, I never knew you. But God, didn't we, didn't we sing church in church? Didn't we, didn't we put our offering in? Didn't we help out on the church work day? Didn't we do this and this and this and this and this? He says, depart from me, I never knew you. Knowledge is never enough. Knowledge is never enough. Our life must be, um, in other words, our life has to be uh, proved through our actions that we're truly His. If we think we are doing when in all honesty we are not obedient, we are deceiving or deluding ourselves. Look at our text here in James 1. Verse 23 says, Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So if we think we are doing when in all honesty we are not obedient, we're deceiving ourselves. Uh, let me just give you a kind of an interesting little illustration just for a moment. Have you ever tried to use a cheap mirror that is not a high-quality mirror? Has anyone ever done that before? It's one of those mirrors that's really not glass. It's kind of like somebody's rendition of a really bad paper sticker. Anybody ever seen those before? You take these little toy mirrors that come with Barbie dolls or whatever else, toys, and you put your face into it just for a moment. It seems as though you hold this thing at just about every conceivable angle, every you know, length and up, down, and lighting, and you try to get a clear image of yourself. And against all odds, you get, you just can't do it. And after a few moments, you get frustrated and you toss the mirror aside. And almost as if you're saying, it really doesn't matter. And you quickly turn your attention on doing the next thing. That's really, in essence, what's taking place here. A man who looks into the perfect mirror of God's Word, it reveals who he really is how he truly lives. And remember, we have one thing that we can't get away from, and that's the presence of God. Psalm 139, take some time to read it. It says, no matter where you go on this earth, heaven above, earth below, anything in between, it says, behold, I'm there. You can't escape the presence of God. 
Hebrews tells us that all things are naked and open before God. You can't escape the presence of God no matter how you try. The bottom line is God sees everything. And even more than that, he says he knows the thoughts and intents of our hearts. So when we come in to God's house and we don't really have our heart engaged in truly obeying God, he knows that. He knows that. And what i found throughout the years is that it's really easy, even in my own life. Well, I have to be there Sunday because that's what I'm paid to do. i got to be there. And i got to put my church smile on. And i got to be all good and fuzzy, warm, and oh, so wonderful to see you. And I was like, I've got a backache. My tooth hurts. And I really don't want to be here. But praise God, I'm in church today. No. God knows our heart. He knows the real us. He knows whether or not your heart is with Him or not. I just know for myself, maybe you're not, maybe no one else in this room goes through this, but I know for myself, it's a struggle sometimes. But before God, I want to be a person who intently studies the Word and applies it. The blessed man in this passage is the man who looks. And this idea behind looks here is not a casual look. It's an intent look. In other words, it's the person who says, I, I know what that word means, but I really want to see, is this word used anywhere else? Is this word, what, what does it really entail? Uh, what does it mean to really, and, and really study it out? <coughs> and did you know that it's not just for pastors and Sunday school teachers? According to 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Whose mandate is that? That's for all of us. To study and to know the word of God and to apply it to our hearts and our lives. But the blessed man is the man who doesn't just casually look, but he intently looks at the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it. Intently, it says here. He observes it. He examines it. He studies it. He contemplates it. He thinks about it. And he mulls it over in his mind. And he says, is there any way I can implement this into my life and my walk with God? It's not just, oh, I hear it. Now I'm going to go on my way because it's 12.15. We should be out of here by now. It's the idea that I want to apply what I'm learning. The law of freedom. God's law never confines. It always frees and liberates. That goes against our normal thinking, doesn't it? Well, I, I, as I said before, I grew up in a very conservative, independent, fundamental King James-only Baptist church. And I still I love my home church. And my pastor, my home pastor just retired at 80-some years old last, last, like two months ago. Wonderful man of God. But, you know, it's an amazing thing to consider growing up with all the rules and the regulations. And oftentimes, I can remember as a teenager, inviting a friend to church. Oh, you're that church that women can't wear pants. Oh, you're that church that you can't play this, or you can't watch a video, or you can't... And there's all the rules and the regulations. Now, let me just say for a moment, I'm not bashing it. What I am saying, in relationship, it's the relationship with Jesus Christ that matters. It's not the do's and the don'ts. It's the, where's your heart on this? 
And the bottom line is, sometimes we have the idea that rules and regulations and laws confine. But yet in reality, God says, the perfect law of liberty brings freedom. Psalm 19 talks about that. John chapter 8 talks about that. In John 10, he even says, I am come that you may have life, that you may have it, how? Abundantly. God is not about confining us. He is all about having a relationship with us. And within that relationship, we do those things that please God, right? I've said this before and I'm almost through. When I got married, nobody gave me a how-to manual. They probably should have, but they didn't do it. They should have had 101 rules to be a, be a, to be a loving, wonderful, dedicated, acceptable husband. I, I didn't get that book. I had to learn through trial and error. And I've really messed up a lot of brownie points over the years. Um, but over the years, I've learned that there are certain things that irritate my wife that are 100% avoidable. Right, guys? And there are some things that please our wives. I didn't get that manual, but I've learned over the years that if I do certain things, I might as well just cut my foot off. <laughs> Done. It's true. Because it's my own fault. I, there's things that I choose to do out of my selfishness that don't help a relationship. It wasn't because she had Ken Todd's top ten rules for the day. Although that might be helpful. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. My wife is wonderful. But here's the deal. She never gave me a list. How do I know what pleases her and what doesn't please her? I draw close to her. And the closer I get, the more I love her, the more she loves me, and the more I understand what brings her pleasure and what does not. I learn through time and drawing close and spending time with her what pleases her and what does not. Is it any different with our relationship with God? Is it? No. The closer I draw to God, the more I understand what pleases Him. And the closer I draw to God, the more I understand what breaks His heart. He says the law of freedom. Look what it says here in James chapter 1. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of what? Freedom. God's law brings freedom and perseveres in it. It is not a forgetful here, but one who does good works. This person will be blessed in what he does. The bottom line is, am I a hearer or am I am a person who intently listens and does and is a doer of the word? I put into practice the things that I begin to understand. In conclusion, let me ask you this question. How do you and I respond to the truth of God's Word? If God wants me to be a doer, if God wants me to be someone who applies and puts into practice the things that we are taught, how am I doing with that? How am I doing with that? What is my attitude upon hearing the truth of God's Word? Am I willing to implement it? Am I willing to put it into practice? Am I willing to do it? Let me use the illustration once again with our kids. 
When we tell our kids to do something, what is our expectation? That they will what? Do it. Go take out the trash. Take the dogs out. Whatever it may be, when we tell our children to do it, we hope and anticipate and expect that they will do it. And when God says, as his children, I want to spend time with you in prayer. Not when you pray, but not if you pray, but when you pray. Not when you, if you give, but when you give. And not if you fast, but when you fast. What's his expectation? Is that we'll get involved. When he says, I want you to share your faith, it's not an anticipation that you might or hope or whatever. He says, I want you to do this. He says, he that when his souls is wise, he that bears fruit is, is wise. So do it. We're never, char- we're, in all these things, we're never, we are never called to control the outcome. We are called to be obedient. And as we've already learned, partial obedience is not acceptable. He wants complete obedience. We're not perfect, but we strive with all of our heart to do what's right. How are we doing with that? Because it's really easy. I, I speak for myself here. I'm really good at just listening and saying, oh, I'll do that later. Anyone else a procrastinator in some things? Yeah. It's really easy, isn't it? We can justify it. We can rationalize it. We can excuse it away and say, I'll do it later. I'll get more involved later. I'll I'll, I'll do what I need to do later. I'll, I'll talk to that person later. And later seemingly never comes because we have so much to do on our agendas that we don't worry about God's agenda. The idea behind this is not a casual looking into the Word. It's an intent. I want to apply this. I want to study it out. I want to see how I can implement this into my life and walk with God. So he comes back to this. Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, lest we deceive ourselves. I don't want to be deceived. I want to be a doer. I want to put my money where my mouth is. I heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words. It's time to put our money where our mouth is, to start doing. Not just building in our brains a, a sponge that absorbs all the knowledge that God has for us. Time to get wrung out a little bit. Time to squeeze it out so that God can refill it. Let's put it into practice this week. Be doers of the word and not deceive ourselves concerning our true walk with God. Let's pray.